You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Pemex has recovered from the ransomware attack it sustained, or has it? TA-2101 is spoofing German, Italian, and U.S. government agencies in its phishing emails. A dropper in the wild is delivering a Trojan twofer. Anti-Frigus ransomware is avoiding C-drives for some reason. Ohio State researchers find a Bluetooth vulnerability. Want to get that marketing message in front of a friendly CISO? David Spark joins us to tell you how. And the results of the annual Data Tribe Challenge are in. We heard the three finalists pitch yesterday, and the judges have a winner. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, November 15th, 2019. The Pemex hack was either a relatively minor matter quickly resolved, that's if you follow Mexican Security Minister Alfonso Durazo and Finance Minister Arturo Herrera, or it was a big problem that's still not resolved. That's if you believe what Pemex personnel are telling Reuters on condition of anonymity. Researchers at Proofpoint describe the work of TA-2101, a relatively new actor that's spoofing official communications from German, Italian, and U.S. agencies as fishbait. The campaign is interesting as an instance of what some observers are calling a trend, crooks who are going for approaches that are more closely tailored to their targets than the familiar spray-and-pray campaign that goes for volume. Security firm Fortinet has discovered a dropper active in the wild that's delivering two Trojans to its targets, Revenge Rat and WSH Rat. That's two, two, two rats in one. Both of these rats have a history of being used in attacks related to financial institutions. Revenge Rat collects system information. WSH Rat is a data stealer, often seen in phishing campaigns. An odd ransomware campaign is underway. 
odd in the way it rules out certain files from receiving its ministrations. According to Bleeping Computer, which has been in touch with the independent researchers who've been tracking the infestation, the particular ransomware strain involved, Antifrigus, avoids files on the usual C drive, reserving its hostile encryption for data on mapped network drives or removable devices. It's being distributed by malvertising that redirects victims to the RIG exploit kit. Researchers at The Ohio State University have found a vulnerability in Bluetooth low-energy devices that exposes them to fingerprinting attacks. And if the devices and the mobile apps that connect to them use weak encryption, attackers could intercept data being passed between them. We were at the second annual Data Tribe Challenge in Baltimore yesterday, held in the very hipsterish repurposed city garage down Port Covington Way. And full disclosure, Data Tribe is an investor in the CyberWire. The challenge is open to young startups. They're young, that is, they must be pre-A series companies whose total funding to date can't exceed $1.2 million. They must offer an enterprise, big data, or cybersecurity product that's in the beta, minimal viable product or concept stage. Practical experience in the Five Eyes security, defense, or R&D systems is preferred, but not required. The ideas the startups propose should be suitable for funding that would advance the product. And of course, to the best of their knowledge, those ideas shouldn't violate any intellectual property rights. The judges this year were executives from AppGate, CrowdStrike, Apple, Allegis Cyber, Cisco, and Shopify. Last year's winners were Prevalian and Inertial Sense, each of whom received seed funding. This year, three finalists were selected from more than 300 applicants. The applicant pool was very heavily involved in machine learning and artificial intelligence, Data Tribe co-founder Mike Janke observed in his introductory remarks. The finalists were CodeDX from North Point, New York, which automates application vulnerability management in a way that enables various testing tools to cooperate in developing a single, easily read set of correlated results. Bloomfield Robotics, based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a Carnegie Mellon University spin-out that specializes in agricultural robotics and machine learning. And Security Advisor, based in Sunnyvale, California, which applies an artificially intelligent behavior management platform to assist users in becoming an integral part of their organization's cyber defenses. All three companies offered interesting insights. Bloomfield Robotics applies machine learning and artificial intelligence to a very old problem, crop scouting, an activity that hasn't changed much since the earliest hydraulic societies of the ancient world began to send people into the fields to judge the right time to harvest. Visual inspection by human experts remains essential, but it's difficult and expensive, especially given the worldwide shortage in crop scouting expertise. Bloomfield's CEO, Mark DeSanti, pointed out that losses from crop failures, which in many, perhaps most instances, come down to failures in crop scouting, cause about $4 billion in losses annually in U.S. commodity crops alone. And mistimed harvests, which crop scouting affects directly, results in about 5% plant loss each year. So what's all this got to do with cybersecurity, you, the skeptical listener, will ask? And quite rightly, because the answer is nothing, not directly. But it's an interesting application of deep learning to a very labor-intensive human task, and an application in which the hype doesn't seem to have outrun the reality. And of course, cybersecurity also requires the sort of labor-intensive intervention of human experts whose skills are also in short supply. DeSanti offered a prediction that he acknowledged would be controversial, 
but which his audience didn't regard as crazy either. In five years, he said, deep learning would enable automation of all the image inspection tasks that now require scarce human expertise. Feel free to draw the analogies to scarce human watchstanding expertise in cybersecurity. The second company, Security Advisor, is very much a cybersecurity outfit. Security Advisor's solution focuses on creating what the company's CEO, Sai Venkatraman, called personalized teachable moments as a way of delivering security training that can create a culture of cyber immunity in an organization. They focus on outcomes and on adding value to other products their customers have already bought and deployed. Security Advisor applies artificial intelligence and machine learning to such inputs as user activity logs to tailor the training to the users and the organization's actual security needs. They seek to do this in a non-intrusive but relevant way. Security Advisor thinks a lot of training can become annoying. Venkatraman said, once you become a nuisance, people ignore you. They found they don't want to touch users more than four times a month with brief, teachable moments. The third company, and this was the winner of the competition, was Code DX, also a security shop. Dr. Anita D'Amico, Code DX's CEO, called her company a player in the newly recognized subsector of application security orchestration and correlation. That category is newly recognized by industry evaluator Gartner. D'Amico explained that software vulnerabilities are the major gateway to breaches. Most breaches are caused by exploiting a web application, but application security, she said, continues to be very hard to get right. There are more than 150 point solution tools on the market, and they can be difficult and time-consuming to configure. It can take weeks to correlate their siloed results, and they tend to deliver many false positives. The problem is that AppSec analysts must assess vulnerabilities at all the layers an application touches, from custom code to component to network. CodeDX aims to orchestrate tools and results and to prioritize vulnerabilities. It offers centralized risk assessment with one risk score for each of the three levels that must be addressed. They make it easier and cheaper to assess and reduce the risk of insecure software, D'Amico said. The Department of Homeland Security is using CodeDX to help secure the software supply chain now. And one of the advantages of CodeDX's solution, D'Amico pointed out, is that it's a system of record that can be used to demonstrate due diligence and isolate responsibility for risk. The three companies split a $20,000 prize and CodeDX won $2 million in seed funding. Security Advisor and Bloomfield Robotics were far from left out. Both have received serious interest from venture capitalists in the course of the competition. Congratulations to all three finalists, and especially, of course, to Code DX. Hey, everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com resilience. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. 
Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, your team at Dragos recently published a series of uh, white papers, and they were about purple teaming ICS networks. I thought this is an interesting topic for us to cover here together. Um, take us through, what are you sharing here? Yeah, I mean, it, that was definitely a collection of work by a lot of folks in Darnold Company, but I'll I'll. I'll pay special attention to Austin Scott. Now, he was the one that really sort of spearheaded a lot of that. And and really, I think when we have customers and community members come to us, they always ask about getting into their environments and doing some level of service and assessment first. Usually you, you do that just to get a lay of the land, what's going on. And you usually get requests like, I want a pen test, or I want a threat hunt, or I want you know this, and I want a red team. You try to ask them, like, what do you actually want? They might know the words, but sometimes the value propositions are not aligned with what they're asking for. And so you're like, well, what do you actually want? And it's like, well, I want to take, like, an adversarial mindset to my defense, but I don't really just want to, like, exploit vulnerabilities or emulate a threat. I really want to, like, see my gaps and also um, improve my security uh, explicitly against kind of that adversarial mindset. And so it's kind of a mixture of the blue team ops and the red team, that's the, the completely unimaginative name, purple teaming. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're seeing this in a larger security community now really take hold. And I, I, I like the little movement. It's, it's not anything different than what a lot of practitioners have been doing over the year, but you're identifying it, calling it something and drawing attention to it. And, and again, the mindset is, I'm going to treat this like the adversary. I'm not going to go down the list and just focus on compliance or checklist or quote-unquote, best practices or frameworks, but what are the adversaries really doing? Almost taking in that Intel-driven approach, but also let's put a real hyper blue team spin on this of instead of going and having to do the red team engagement to get to the answer, why don't we almost come up with hypotheses and work through them and put the security around it as we go? And so it's this beautiful mixture of like hunting with red teaming with hmm. like actual security controls while you roll it out. And I think that's really critical in industrial environments because a lot of the things that you might want to do from a red teaming or pen testing perspective, you might not want to do on your gas turbine, right? And mm -hmm. so it's 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 kind of getting to the point of being adversarial without introducing the same risks in those sensitive environments 
with still getting to the end result and a big focus on on defense. Do you lose anything by not having those guardrails between red and blue? I, I think there's definitely pros and cons on each and every one of them. Um, one of the things that can be done really well with a red team, and there's a lot of value in doing, is when you're really emulating the threat. You're not just running like Nessus and looking for vulnerabilities, but you're red teaming. You're emulating the threat. You're not just testing your security controls. You're testing your defense. You, and what I mean by that is your people. A good red team is testing the, the defense uh, personnel and their training, in, in my opinion. It's not, can I get past the firewall and the EDR? It's, is the SOC going to see me? Is the instant response going to actually work? Are they going to be ready for me? And and I'm emulating the adversary. Like there's, there's a lot of value in that. And that testing of the defensive people in like real time is not what you get in purple teaming. You do get that in red teaming. But because you're moving it a little further over to the right in purple teaming, you're getting much more collaboration and kind of education throughout the process versus what sometimes come off as a test, even though that's not always fair. There's a lot of red teams that do educate along the way. But hopefully that's that's kind of clear on the difference of I'm going to emulate the threat, be adversarial, and, and we're going to test you and you're going to learn from that versus I'm going to think adversarially show you what we could do, but we're going to handhold each other throughout this process and put a hyper-focus on the defense throughout it. Hmm. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. My guest today is David Spark. He's the co-host of the CISO Security Vendor Relationship Podcast and owner of Spark Media Solutions, which does content marketing for the tech industry. He joins us to share some of the insights he's gained in the conversations he's had with CISOs, specifically when it comes to getting their attention and earning their trust. When you get right down to it, they just want to be considered. So when someone is looking for a firewall solution, they want their product to be considered. When they're looking for any kind of solution, just when they're looking at all everything, they want to be considered. The problem is, if you're not considered, you are literally invisible, and there's no way to succeed if you're invisible. You are the host of the CISO Security Vendor Relationship Podcast. Um, what are you hearing from CISOs in terms of what they want, what they what works with them in terms of connecting with them to get your message to them? So this is pretty much a big overarching theme on our show. We talk about this a lot. And that's why actually a lot of vendors listen to our show because they want to know. Uh, I will say this. There is no combination of words that one can put in an email that will automatically cause a CISO to open that email. Hmm. I believe a lot of vendors believe that that's the case. It doesn't exist. They have seen every bogus email under the sun. They don't need yet another one. What <laughs> they need now to talk, speak positive to your question is they just want to know, what does your product do? How do you differentiate where your product exists on a security plans roadmap you know, or maturity roadmap? That's it. If you just communicate that information and that alone, if they are interested or they will be interested soon, then they will reach out to you. But they don't want to talk to you about their security program, you know, a CISO. They, hmm. It's someone who sends a, a blind email saying, can we talk about your concerns or your current security program? That is an extraordinarily private matter to a CISO, and they do not want to talk about it with you. Once they trust you, they will. 
What about the message? Can I just have 10 minutes of your time? So yes, we, we've talked about this one a lot. Uh, so that doesn't work for this reason. What you are praying on when you make that request or, or a salesperson makes that request is you're praying on that person just being nice to you. What you need to more do is give them a reason to want to speak with you for 10 minutes. Honestly, if you give them a reason to want to talk with you, they're going to want to talk with you for a lot more than 10 minutes. And the problem is, if you make the request of, may I have 10 minutes of your time, you're not giving them a reason to talk with you. You're asking them, would you just be nice to me? And the problem is, when you get hundreds of these, they simply just can't be nice to random strangers. Well, let's look at it from the other direction. I mean, what are the things that you would tell people absolutely to not do? That list is unfortunately long. And, <laughs> and I'd say the most popular article that I ever wrote on my site is entitled 30 Things That Vendors Say That Set Off a CISO's BS detector. That article blew up just because it hit so many nerves and all the CISOs were like, oh my God, I can't stand it when they make claims uh, you know, of absolutes, like we protect everything. We have no competition in the market. We are the market leader. Just don't talk in absolutes. I, it sets off the, the BS detector. And if you are setting off the BS detector in any manner, they don't trust you and trust is critical in this industry. So I would say to any marketer out there, what can you do to build the community's trust? And I'll tell you, one of the things that does very, very well are companies that release research, unique research that is of value to CISOs. That is one of the best ways to build trust. That's interesting because, you know, I... I I get sent a lot of research, uh, and I would say it, they, the, the ones that are truly interesting and what I would say truly valuable are few and far between. Yes. I mean, do you have any tips on what sets sets a particular set of research apart from the pack? Well, you you know the, there's the kind of research out there that is so blatantly self-serving because they're trying mm. to prove the value of their own product. That's the kind of research that doesn't do well. But one of the most popular research reports is the, the VBIR, the Verizon Breach Incident Report. I believe that's what it stands for. Right. That is beloved yeah. in the cybersecurity community. And they work on it all year. And it's the, it's actually, they're always looking for volunteers to contribute information for this breach report. But it's extra, extremely dense, valuable information. And many CISOs that I've spoken to use that report as a means to build out their security program, to determine where they need to make sort of their next levels of investment. So if you're not making a research report self-serving and it's very unique and nobody else is providing this information, that will be of great value to a CISO. But I will tell you, it doesn't come cheap. You know, the cost of making that, uh, the VBIR, I'm sure is not a cheap endeavor. What about FUD, uh, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt? There's no shortage of people out there who are trying to drum up business by scaring people. Does that work in this market? Uh, definitely not. And we've we've talked about this at actually a great length in the show. And it, it is honestly the reason the CISO series and the, the, the original podcast, the CISO Security Vendor Relationship Podcast launched, is because back in late 2017 and before, the amount of anger that CISOs were showing towards vendors for trying to sell their product through FUD was extreme. So with the introduction of our CISO series, we were trying to combat that like, all right, there is an alternative to FUD. Let's find a new way to communicate together. 
that is not based on photo. And, I, and I'm just going to say this purely anecdotally. I am noticing a lot, while well, it's far from eradicated, I am noticing a lot less FUD in the market. I would like if we took credit for that, because I think since we started our uh, effort, I mean, I've just noticed it anecdotally, but I, I'd, I'd be interested to know if the listeners feel the same way that, you know, since since the middle of two, 2018, uh, have they seen a little less FUD? I don't know, but uh, I've noticed it anecdotally, and it's been our charge to try to get that communication to sort of tamper down. What about the the importance of one-on-one communications, of, of being face-to-face with people, getting involved with your your local groups, um, rather than sending out email blasts or, or placing ads and things? What's your perspective on the value of those sorts of efforts? So obviously, you know, any salesperson knows that anytime you can get one-on-one time in front of a, a, a practitioner or a security leader, uh, that's of extreme value, and they, they will pay dearly for that. I mean, there are these exclusive events that uh, many firms put on that they charge a pretty penny to let vendors have access to that kind of information. But there are other organizations, like you reference, uh, local meetup groups. I'll, I'll mention ISSA, ISACA. These are security groups for which CISOs have repeatedly said, if you bring your smartest people, vendors, speaking of vendors, if you bring your smartest people to volunteer, contribute, provide valuable information, we will deeply remember that. And that is of great value to us. I will say the the problem is a lot of these security vendor organizations, they start with some very low level people who don't have the security chops that a more advanced engineer, you know, subject matter expert may have. Those are the kind of people are being put on the front line, the pawns, if you will, to reach out to mm. CISOs. And CISOs are, get a little frustrated with that. And they try to be polite. But it, when someone is obviously being paid to just secure meetings with CISOs and they're going through every effort to make that happen, and that person who's contacting them is not the person who's actually going to have the meeting or nor has the savviness, it, it, it can grate on their nerves. And, and I've seen that happen. That's David Spark from Spark Media Solutions. He is also the producer and co-host of the CISO Security Vendor Relationship Podcast. Do check it out. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, 
streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.